do. Girls need to put on some clothes. You don't hear that a lot, right? Or, or is that just me? Amen. You know, this morning we had an excellent time. The reason I, I really was, uh, we went to Tucson and I heard Pastor Carnegie minister and, and part of what he was ministering on was, was kind of uh, servitude, a heart of servitude. And it was, it was a very powerful message. And as I was talking to him, I've never really got to sit down and talk to him. And he was telling me about how he's in Jamaica, in London, and how he is in Atlanta. He evangelized. But the one thing that kept coming through was that you could genuinely sense he is simply just surrendered to God. It might not be the most ideal place. Like he was in Jamaica telling me some of the things he was going through. But you could just tell, you know, God just got a hold of his heart. He's in the military, gets radically touched. And God, you could just genuinely sense, speaks to someone who is surrendered. And I really do believe tonight we're going to get a word from God. And I want to encourage you, don't just give us an ear, give us your heart. Because something could be deposited tonight that can change your future, deposit destiny. Only God knows. Let's give him a good hand as he comes this evening. Bless him. Thank you, bro. Hallelujah, everyone. The Lord is wonderful. Thank you guys again for having me for your harvesters. It's another good experience for me. First time I've been able to come to preach at your harvesters here. And I tell you what, you guys are making it happen for the Lord out of San Marcos. You know, and I never even knew what San Marcos was until I got saved and started preaching in our fellowship and come here and got to meet some good folks. And, and I, I was blessed because quite a few of the folks here in the congregation, you know, were coming up to me and telling me that, uh, they remember something that I preached five, six, or seven years ago. And you don't know how good that make a preacher feel. I said, man, somebody was actually listening. Wow. You know, it'd be like a lady, you know, when somebody's bragging about something you cooked 10 years ago. Say, oh, Lord, I remember you made them enchiladas 10 years ago. Oh, Lord. You just feel good like, man, I must put something good in them enchiladas. <laughs> but it is a joy to know that uh, people are attentive and that God is moving. And I really appreciate your pastor and thank him and his family for inviting me to come down. And I look forward to what God's going to do here and in the service again tomorrow morning. So thank the Lord. Let's go in the Bible tonight to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 7. And let me read with you tonight from the word of the Lord, uh, verse 11 down to verse 17. And this is a portion of the scripture where Jesus heals the woman from Nain's son. So let's read it together. It's Luke chapter 7, verse 11 down to 17. Now, How many of you are here tonight because you're excited about what God is doing? And you've come here to hear a word from the Lord tonight. And I really hope you give me your attention. Let's read it together from the Bible. Verse 11. Here's what the Bible says. Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, Behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. Large crowd from the city was with her. When Jesus saw her, he had compassion on her and said, Do not weep. And he came and touched the open coffin. And those who carried him, what does it say they did? They stood still or they stopped and he said young man i say to you remember jesus is speaking to a dead person as if the dead person could hear him see only jesus can do that it goes on to say so he who was dead sat up and began to speak and he presented him to his mother. And fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. Jesus rose a dead boy from the dead. <laughs> oh, how I love Jesus tonight. Dead things can live in the presence of Jesus. I want you all to prepare your hearts tonight 
for a good dose of encouragement. I like it when the ladies said their group was EOE. I was asking in the back. I, I heard them say echoes of something. I said, what did they say? Echoes of encouragement. Well, we have a sermon to go along with the echoes of encouragement tonight. I want to pray and I want to ask the Lord to encourage all of our hearts in these last days as we face a massive harvest field for our churches personally and as a whole fellowship. So join me for a minute in praying and let's commit our message to the Lord. Father, tonight we thank you for the Holy Spirit gathering with us. And as we come this evening, our final night for this harvesters, Lord, recommission and relaunch and re-encourage us that every promise that you gave is possible. We pray that the lies of hell would be reversed. Hallelujah. We pray that your name would be exalted in our lives and in the places of labor that you've given us. And we ask tonight that in this message, we would sense the hope that you brought us here to receive tonight. And I thank you for all that you're about to speak. We receive it even now by faith in Jesus' name. Everybody shout amen. Now, my whole inspiration, I have to admit, did not initially come from reading the scripture. But the scripture seemed to fit into what it was that I was reading. And I knew it was the Holy Spirit moving me to put together this message. I want to share this with you tonight. I was reading in our newspaper in Atlanta about a man whose name was Walter Williams. And the headline in the newspaper was that a man in Mississippi had risen from the dead. Now, come on, folks. This is America 2015. You don't hear too many stories of people rising from the dead, do you? So when you see a headline like that, I dropped everything I was doing because I wanted to give me a piece of that action. It says a man in Mississippi had risen from the dead. Now, that's one of the states near to us. And so I I pulled the article and I started looking at the entire thing. And let me read to you. I'm going to read. I'm going to relate to you what the story said. This man, Walter Williams, is a man who is a heart patient. And he had a pacemaker fitted into his chest because he had been a longtime heart patient. And so somewhere during the course of this whole situation, the batteries or the power source of his pacemaker had failed. And... When he passed out, they pronounced him dead because they couldn't get a registered pulse because his pacemaker had stopped and thus his heart was not functioning the way it should. So they pronounced him dead and they took him to the morgue. (laughs) So while he was in the morgue, probably toward the end of the shift before the people, I don't know what they call morgue people, But he was there in the morgue and the man is there tagging dead bodies from the hospital doing whatever they do. And he heard this noise coming from the dead people refrigerator. And so he went to listen. Now, I know he wasn't a black man because I would have ran and left him there. (laughs) I'm not one of those inquisitive kind of people. If I'm working in a morgue, everybody's supposed to be dead. And if anything is happening, I'm going home. They would have had to wait till the next shift to find that brother. But anyway, he went over to find out what was going on. He opened the door and the bag was moving. Folks, I really would have been gone. And he unzipped it and Walter Williams had come alive. Whatever was faulty with his pacemaker had kind of started working again. And he's in there and the guy looked at him and said, hey, you're supposed to be dead. He said, do I look dead to you? (laughs) So he gets him out of the bag and gets him his clothes and calls his next of kin, which is his sister, and calls her and says, you've got to get down here. And she comes down and there's Walter sitting in a chair with his stuff. I want to go home. (laughs) She just about passed out. And so it was a great big story in the newspaper there in Lexington, Mississippi, You know, all the newspapers are there. The TV is just a big Channel 5 evening news. And Walter Williams has risen from the dead. It's a great story. As they were interviewing his sister about this raising from the dead, this pacemaker stopped. 
he was pronounced dead. It started working again. He's got a pulse and he's alive. And so they ask her, you know, but well, 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 what do you think about this? And what she said is what really inspired me to start thinking about what I want to preach to you tonight. The woman said this. She says, you know, I don't think anyone in the world will be able to relate to what I'm feeling right now. She said, I am probably going to be the only person in history that knows the joy of canceling a funeral. And she's right. Because usually when you plan a funeral, you have to go through with it. But she called the funeral home to plan the funeral. Then she had to call him back and say, hey, <laughs> he's alive. Cancel the funeral. I'd imagine the funeral home probably thought they had a crazy person on their hands. You don't cancel funerals. She said, oh, there's joy in calling and cancer a funeral that most people will never know. Well, I'm going to tell you, folks, this is what we read in the scripture tonight. The Bible says that Jesus touched the coffin, spoke to the dead boy, arise, and he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and the funeral was stopped. You see, what happened in Mississippi got all kind of news and publicity because it hardly ever happens. But see, this is standard when it comes to Jesus. Can you all say amen? And I want to share with you, and I've always confessed wherever I preach in the world, that I really am not the best sermon titler. I really envy people who can come up with nice sermon titles. Sometimes people say, what's the title of your sermon? I say, Luke chapter 7. But there's people who have these brains, you know, like Richard Ruby, one of my good friends. You know, he's, they, they, they come up with these, these names that kind of stick. And y'all pray for me because I want to get there one day. I, I really, but, 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 but I, I have to admit, after the Walter Williams story and this corresponding message that we read tonight from Luke chapter 7, I, I finally was able to get one, a sermon title. And man, I feel so proud of myself. Because it's not something that I normally do. Oh, but I got one for y'all tonight that I want you to remember. It's simply this. Stop the funeral. I want everybody to say this. Say, stop the funeral. When you see me a couple of years down the road, just look at me and say, Pastor Carnegie, I remember. Stop the funeral. And you'll stroke my ego and make me feel good because I got me a sermon title. Praise the Lord. Now, in my message tonight, I'm going to talk about the scripture in just a moment. But I want to say something to you as I go into my thoughts for tonight. And first of all, I want to say to you that we serve a really mighty God. And when God works, he works in ways that blow our mind. One of the things that makes you keep serving him week after week, month after month, year after year, because you just can't wait to see what God is going to do next. How many of you understand what I'm saying? Come on, we serve an amazing God. And there are a particular number of ways that God works to really blow our mind. And I want to share and confirm a couple of them with you. First of all, something that I call dramatic deliverances. Now, when I say dramatic deliverances, I'm talking about God getting us out of things in dramatic fashion, almost like a, a, a film in Hollywood that they would call a drama. You know, it's, it's got you riveted. This is a drama. Like when things are happening and I say God is the master of dramatic deliverances, as in the parting of the Red Sea. Come on. God's people are trapped. Pharaoh is coming quickly behind them. The Red Sea is blocking them in front. They're standing there with nowhere to go. The enemy is going to get them or they're going to drown. And what does God do? Stretch out your rod. And as they stretch out the rod, the Red Sea opens up. Come on, this is drama. And this is not lighting and special effects. Come on, this is real. And as the Red Sea just opens and they walk through on dry ground, 
and they are saved and Pharaoh's men drown. Wouldn't you call that a dramatic deliverance? Come on now. And that's what God does for us. Come on. So dramatic deliverance is one of the ways that God blows our mind. The next way he blows our mind is what I call unexplainable provisions. These are things that just cause your mouth to open because there really is no explanation, neither scientifically nor intellectually. He just does these unexplainable things and you're just left doing this. Praise God. Say what I mean. Water coming out of a rock. Come on. That's unexplainable. There's nothing in a rock but more rock. But he says, Moses, speak to the rock. Moses doesn't speak to it. He hits it with a stick. Water starts coming out of the rock so people can drink. Now, isn't that an unexplainable provision? When everybody was hungry and they wanted food to eat and they're crying out to God, Lord, we have nothing to eat. And the Bible says as you wake up in the morning, food is going to fall out of the sky. They called it manna and everybody had food to eat. What was that? How did it happen? There's nothing up there except for air. Yeah, but God is unexplainable in his provision. What that means is you can trust God in anything. Can you say amen? That means it doesn't matter what kind of circumstance. Science is not the final word. Your understanding is not the final word. God does things to blow our mind. Third thing I call lopsided victories. Lopsided victories are things like a little 12-year-old boy with a few stones Defeating an over nine foot giant who is a professional warrior. Come on, everybody. That is a lopsided victory. This is what we call a shoe in. A professional career soldier with swords and spears and coats of mail and a little shepherd boy with a couple of stones from a river. And they're in a duel against each other. You know, Vegas would have enjoyed putting odds on this. David won. Because God fights for his people. And it's a lopsided victory. And we enjoy these kind of things. Because the backslider, see, you can come back and make it. Come on, the drunken, drug-addicted husband can turn out to be a great man of God. A prostitute teenage daughter who's full of rebellion can be a woman of God, a mother, and a Sunday school teacher. This doesn't even make sense. It's completely lopsided. This is what God can do. And this is where our faith has to lie. Now, the last one that I'm going to talk about is the one that I really enjoy. I call it the rope-a-dope. Now, you all know that Muhammad Ali, the old champ of boxing, made the rope-a-dope famous. Because in the rope-a-dope, what happens is as you're fighting, you let your opponent think that he's got you. And so as Muhammad Ali is laying on the ropes, he's resting and dodging blows getting his wind, while the other guy is just swinging and punching. I got him now. I got him. And he's just dodging, laying there, getting some rest. And they call it the rope-a-dope because he's punching himself and using all of his energy. And he's laying there using no energy. And when he gets his second wing, he comes back and he beats you down, down, down. And it's a great strategy. And it wasn't perfected by Muhammad Ali. It was perfected by God. Because when they had Jesus on the cross, stay with me for a minute. And the Bible says the demons of hell are dancing and rejoicing that we've finally silenced the son of God. We've shut him up. We've nailed him to a cross. We've ripped out his beard. We've pierced his side. His hands are nailed. His feet are nailed. Finally, his healing has stopped. His provisions have stopped. We got him. We got him. We got him. And he's laying there on the cross. And the devil thinks he's won. Ha! Until three days later. 
Oh, hallelujah. We call it Easter Sunday morning. Come on, somebody say amen. All of a sudden, the grave began to rumble. That stone began to roll. The Bible said the clouds began to come in. Come on, say amen, somebody. All of a sudden, the lightning begins to flash. What's going on on that? Oh, Jesus gets up out of the grave, and the demons begin to scatter. The world has a Savior. He's alive. Can you say amen? Oh, right when the devil thought that he had won, God comes back and beats him down. Glory to God. And the entire world rejoices because God works in ways that blows our mind. See, I want your faith to grow tonight. And I want you to be encouraged as we leave this harvesters and go home. I want you to be riding high on your faith that you know what, God, I don't care what I'm up against. You work in ways that are dramatic, ways that are lopsided, ways that are unexplainable. Can you all say amen with me? Now, in this text, there's something amazing. Because it says that Jesus is coming to the city of Nain. And as he's coming down the road, the Bible says he runs into a woman whose husband has died. The scripture says she's a widow. Now her only son has died, so she has no one left. In a culture where women at that particular time didn't have the greatest of value like they do today, her husband and her son, her two providers and breadwinners are gone. She's left with nothing, and she's weeping as she's burying her last hope, her son. He says large crowds have come with her and there's a funeral procession. And in the east, they would carry the coffin on their shoulders and here they come walking down the street, heading out of the city, going to the cemetery to bury her last hope. And the Bible says Jesus shows up and he gets right in front of the funeral procession. And then he looks at the woman and says, don't weep. Now, most of you have enough sense to know that this is a very awkward situation because, number one, you don't disturb a funeral procession. That's considered rude. Come on, when you see a funeral coming, you usually pull over, right? You don't say, well, listen, I got to get to Walmart, and you just break right in the middle. <laughs> Somebody's looking convicted. You've been doing that, huh? You, no, man, I, I got to get somewhere. No, no, it's a funeral. You wait. You, you, you respect these people. They're grieving. And so you don't just get in and say, well, I'm sorry, y'all. I got to go. And break right in front of the hearse. But this is what Jesus did. He gets right in front of, of the funeral procession. And the Bible says, as we read it, it says when he went there, it said they stood still. What did he do? He stopped the funeral. He looks at the woman, says, don't weep. The Bible says he goes over to the coffin and he starts speaking to it. He said, young man in there, arise. The Bible says he who was dead, sat up and began to speak. And he takes that boy down and says he presents him to his mother. The hope has now returned. Come on. Her grief is turned to joy. <laughs> Her sadness is turned to happiness. Her hopelessness has turned to hope. And everything changed at one touch of Jesus. Come on, folks. He stopped the funeral. Everybody say amen with me. Now, let me try to relate. If God will help me and the Holy Spirit will be with me tonight, I want to try to relate this to where we are in Texas and in our world today so that we can get something from this scripture that we can carry home with us. Now, I want to say to you, first of all, that a funeral is a ceremony that we use so that we can transition from having someone in our life actively, we transition to now having them in our memory. Isn't that right? Come on, we call it often a memorial service. 
Which means we'll never talk to mama again. We'll never talk to junior again. We'll never talk to daddy or grandma or nana again. We'll never speak to them again. All we have now is people standing up here in the funeral. Say, I remember nana's tortillas. Right? I remember junior playing on his bicycle. I remember, you know, Lucy you know, when she had her, you know, her, her, her prom gown on or whatever the case. And I remember. And all we do is talk about memories. And, and we have these memories hanging on the wall. You see people put it on the back of their pickup trucks in memorial of Jesus Vicera, you know, 1926 to 2012. And the whole idea is we don't have them actively anymore. All we now have is a memory. You've got to live on the memory. I remember what he would have said. I remember how she used to look at me. I wonder what dad would say now. And we remember their lessons. We remember their wisdom. We remember their smile. Come on. And so a funeral just helps us to transition. We say goodbye to the active person. And we now register them in our memory. That's why you often hear people who are alive say, I want you to remember me as. Remember me for this. So that's what's happening in the text. It's a funeral service. I've conducted many funerals in my life. And I'm telling you, and, and, and you, you, you're making this big transition. Now listen why I'm saying this. Because we live in a world where there is a real devil working against us. And it doesn't take much in this life for dreams and hopes and happiness to transition out of our life actively into our memory. Come on, folks, it doesn't take much. Sometimes all it takes is one failure on your part. And instantly the devil tells you all hope is over. And you were living for this hope. One day I'll meet a man and I'll be married. I'll have children and I'll be a mother, I'll meet a woman, and I'll get married, and oh, it'll be happy, and I'll get a job, and, and I'll do this, and I'll do that. All it takes is one mistake, and you hear the voice of the devil tells you, you know what, that was your dream, but it's gone forever. You messed up. Anybody ever heard that voice? And now where that hope, that dream was active, you lived for it. You prayed for it. You held on to it. Now you've completely given it up. And all you can say now is I used to dream. I used to hope that I could do this for God. I used to think my marriage would get better. I used to think that my parents would change. Or I used to think that I would be able to accomplish stuff. And you would be amazed how many people sitting in church, all they have are memories. How they used to be on fire for God. How I used to be faithful pastor. How I used to pay my tithes and I used to volunteer to serve God. And now they are still just sitting, but there's no more activity in serving God. All it is is I've messed up. I have failed, whatever the case may be, and now they have nothing but a memory. What a sad place for people to be. That's where this woman is, walking out of the city with her son on the shoulders of the pallbearers. And all she's doing is remembering his smile, remembering him playing football, remembering him as he played with his friends. And she's about to put him in the grave. And all she has is a memory. But here is where the gospel is so sweet. Here is where the gospel is so powerful. This is where the gospel changes the world. This is what made me want to be a gospel preacher. Is when I understood this. That as soon as Jesus met this woman, he got right in front of them carrying this boy to the cemetery. And he stopped the funeral. And in real essence, he was not going to let this woman transition from the active life of her son to the memory. He says, no, I'm going to give you your son back and I'm going to turn your tears into joy. Can somebody here say amen? It's powerful. He stopped the funeral. Now, my message to you 
is that God wants to stop the same process from taking place in your life. And he wants to stop it here tonight. He wants to stop. Some of you are trying to make that transition. You're trying to give up on a calling. You're trying to give up on a dream. You're trying to give up on a hope. The devil is trying to plant seeds in your mind that it's never going to be. Your failure is too great. Your mess up is too great. And that it's never going to happen. It's over. And you've tried your best to transition. But you walked into a harvester's this weekend. You tried to say I'll never preach. You tried to say this marriage is doomed. You tried your best to say, you know, pastor, it's over. I've given up on these children that they're never going to be anything in their life. I've completely given up. I'm just going to have to sit here with the dream of what this marriage could have been, what these people could have been, what my life could have been. And here is God's word to you tonight. Stop the funeral. You're trying to bury what God has planted in your heart, you're trying to give up on what God has put into your life as a calling, as a dream, as a powerful mission that has been planted there by God. Tonight, God's not going to let you. And you've run right into Jesus like that woman did on the road to Nain. You've run right into Jesus and you're hearing him tonight. He's saying to you, stop the funeral. I'm not letting you bury this. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I'm not letting you bury the dream that I gave you the day you walked down that aisle with that man, with that woman. And you were so happy. And now you're trying to say, oh, he's just always going to be a bum. She's just always going to be a crazy nag. And you're trying your best to bury it. And God said, uh-uh, it ain't over because the blood of Jesus is still flowing. Come on, the altar is still hot. The coal is still burning. You can still get before God. He can still change people. He can still bring deliverance. And he's telling you, stop the funeral. Hallelujah tonight. You know, one of my greatest sad memories of my years pastoring in London. For 10 years I pastored in England. One of my greatest sad memories, and I have quite a few of them, every pastor does. It's a memory of a girl named Karen. When I came to London, there was a girl coming to church named Karen, about 24 to 25 years old. Young girl, very pretty. And she was without a doubt the most committed, most faithful girl in that entire congregation. Just say, I need a volunteer. She's the first one. If we said nursery, I'm in it. If we say clean the building, she was there. Follow up, where is it at, pastor? Outreach, everyone. Prayer, early morning, afternoon, when? I'm there. And she was so on fire for God. And she would always say, I'm living my life. To one day be a blessing to a man who wants to preach so that I can help him and I can be a wife of a preacher and help a man to be successful in winning souls. What a great dream. Come on. 20-some-year-old girl, and all she wants is to get alongside of a good man and push him into success. Oh, you young ladies, listen, that's all she wanted to do, and she lived for it, and you could see it in her life. Well, Karen had one demon that troubled her. She used to be a crack addict. Before she got saved. If anybody here knows the power of crack. And that form of cocaine. And it's highly addictive. And, and every time she would go through any kind of battles and spiritual warfare. She could taste that crack pipe. She could have the memories of, of how high and the euphoria of that feeling of crack. Like you just disappear into this world of fantasy. And, and the devil would always tempt her to go back into that life. But she would fight in prayer and she would remain faithful and she served God. But man, this thing was like a devil on her back. And every little stress in life, she could just taste it. She could just taste it. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of you can still taste the alcohol. One day, Karen really went through it, and she backslid. She went right straight back to that crack pipe. It was the nightmare I never wanted for her. Because when she went back, you know what the Bible says? The demon possession and the demon stronghold is seven times worse. And she just went off the deep end of crack. When I would call her and talk to her, I'd say, Karen, just come back. Let us fight with you. 
I'm the pastor. I love you. I'll fight with you. I don't care that you're addicted. Just come back. Sit in the back if you have to. Just come and let the word of God hit you. Just like you would remember that pipe. Just remember Jesus. Remember how you loved him. Remember those altar calls. Just come and sit in. No, pastor, I can't come. And the voice of hell was so powerful on her mind that it's over. I'll never be the pastor's wife. I'll never be the missionary's wife. I'll never have that man to love me. I'm just a crackhead. I'll never be anything. I can't get this. And how many of the devil's a liar? But what people don't know is that he's a good liar. And we couldn't get Karen to ever come back to church. But there's about a four-month span where no one's seen her or heard from her. She didn't pick up any calls until we got the news that she overdosed and died. It's one of my great sad memories. Girl that was on fire. And all I can remember her saying to me on the phone is, Pastor, it's over. I'll never be the pastor's wife. Who would ever want me? I'm just a crackhead. I'll never be able to do things for God. I'm just so weak. I'm just so hopeless. And she buried the dream, didn't she? Come on, folks. I said she buried that hope. She gave up on the thing that she once lived for. Just like that woman coming out of the city of Nain with her dead son. She's trying to get to the cemetery. Why? Because when you get to the cemetery, you put him in the ground. And once you cover him up with dirt, then it's over. And in the wisdom of Jesus, I've got to get to these people before they get that casket in the ground. Because once they get it in the ground, they're going to bury him and they're going to bring out the pictures and just going to be talking about what used to be. Oh, he was a nice boy. He was a good student. And all you've got is memories left. And Jesus said, no, you're not going to have a memory. You're going to have your son back. And he said, arise. And that boy sat up and he presented him to his mother. And basically what he's saying is this dream, this hope for this family is not over. I'm so glad that Jesus stopped that funeral. Now see, in here tonight, there's a whole lot of funeral preparation being made tonight. You're trying your best to talk yourself out of what God has put in you. Here comes Jesus tonight, and here's his message to you. Stop the funeral. Now, I want to address three quick things, and we're going to be done with this. And I want you to watch me closely and listen, because what I'm saying was so inspired to me from God that it's a, mes it's a message to three very distinct areas that God wants to say Stop the funeral. Let me give you these three areas and I'll be done, I promise. But I do need you to stay with me right here because this is where the core of our message is. Now, I served in the United States military and I didn't serve in the military just so I could have benefits. I didn't serve in the military simply because it was a paycheck. I went in the military because I love our country. That's not why a lot of people serve. Yes, I was one of those. I was what they call a maggot. I shined my shoes because I wanted them to be shiny. I shined my belt buckle because I wanted it to be shiny. I kept them white walls around my hair trimmed because I wanted to be like that. I was one of those kind of soldiers that advanced very, very rapidly in the United States Air Force and got promoted and, and was always commended. I was that kind of person. I was going to be a career person. Right before I, I went into the ministry, I was just recommended by our base commander to go to Washington, D.C. to work at the Pentagon as one of the Air Force Honor Guard team because that's what I used to do. And so I just was about to accept that job when God called me to preach. And my commanding officer said, you are a fool for giving up this people dream for this. And I said the same thing I heard Pastor Warner say, I appreciate it, but your job is too low. I'm living for the high calling of God. Can you say amen? I love America. I believe in America. I believe there's a reason people want to come to this country. I believe that our founders heard from God when they framed our great constitution. I believe it down to the very toes of my feet. I don't believe that America is an accident. It is a great missionary, great, 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 great charitable country that it is because it was based on something called Judeo-Christian values that, that Christ is the Lord and that God is creator. I was willing to fight and die to defend that principle. 
But you know, there's a whole lot of talk going around America today that our country has seen its better days. That it's over for America, that Islam is taking over. We hear things like the homosexual agenda is taking over. We, we hear things like, you know, the, 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 the immoralists, they've taken over the education system and, and they, they've taken over entertainment and, and it's over. Our kids are hopeless and marriage is 50% divorce. It's over. The family is done. And when you listen to all this and you read all of this and you hear all of these reports, even things coming from preachers, it is so easy to transition from a great America to burying the dream. And when that gets in your heart, all you're left with is hanging around waiting for Jesus to come. No fire in your bones to preach the gospel. No hope that God can send revival again. But I'm here to remind you in this message that there were great, great people who said the same thing about the nation of Israel, and God had to remind them that God is God. Can you say amen? The Bible tells us that Pharaoh believed that it was over for Israel. They're enslaved down in Egypt. It's over. This dream of a mighty country, the Israel, the princes of God ruling the world, it's over, it's done. I've got you under my thumb. You guys are slaves to me until Moses showed up with his rod and he looked at Pharaoh and said, hey, stop the funeral. Come on, somebody. The scripture says that old Nebuchadnezzar thought that it was over when he captured the Jews and carried them to Babylon and he enslaved them. He took Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's got everybody working for him. He's the great Nebuchadnezzar. Look at what I have built. And as far as he was over, those Jews, it'll never happen. I've crushed Jerusalem. I've taken over your country. I've raided all of your temples of all of your items of worship. It's over. Now you're going to serve the Babylonian gods. Oh, but the prophets begin to preach that the desert would bloom again. And Jeremiah began to cry that God hasn't given up on his people. And Isaiah said that those who mourn shall begin to laugh and they preach to the people stop the funeral come on somebody I'm talking to you tonight Haman said that I'm going to destroy all the Jews oh but Mordecai I told Esther that you've been raised up for such a time as this he said God has brought you to save the people alive and he looked at old Haman and said oh not so fast stop the funeral and I'm here to tell you, don't believe the naysayers because God is still in control of the United States of America. Come on, somebody. And I'm going to tell you tonight, it's not over until God says it's over. And God will say it's over when Gabriel blows that trumpet and the dead in Christ rise and we that are alive will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Until then, we keep on preaching and we keep on witnessing and we keep on planting. We're not going to kick back. We're not going to rest. We're going to press the devil right up until the wall. Why? Because it's not over. Listen to me. Stop the funeral. It's tragic to hear people say, you know, I remember when. And it's almost as if the only good days were the past days. I hear preachers say, you know, back in those days when we had real disciples. Well, what do we have now? And somehow people are already put in their mind that those days were the good days. Well, see, in Jesus, the best is always last. Could God read the Bible when he turned that water into wine? They said, oh, Jesus, you saved the best for last because that's what Jesus does. Nothing in the past is greater than what he's going to do now and in the future. You've got to believe this. Hear what I'm saying? Stop the funeral. I speak to everyone in this room. I speak to Obama and to his mama. I speak to Hollywood, I speak to school teachers, I speak to the spirit of Antichrist and the devil, just like Jesus spoke to that death that was holding that boy. He said, it is not over, no transition today, nobody's putting no dirt on top of this boy today. He says, stop this funeral. 
And the vision that God has gave us is a grand vision. And I'm not giving up yet. Is anybody with me? Hallelujah. I speak to this nation, but secondly, I speak to every Christian church. Because for years, there has been lots of report in the media that the church in America is dying. I'm so tired of reading it. Time magazine did a whole front page article about how church attendance is down, how that we are a post-Christian generation, that it's over, that the Christianity that made America great, that's all gone, that the atheists are now taking over, you know, that the sodomites are taking over, that education is taking over, this faith stuff, it's over. People aren't going to church, and they cite all of these studies, you know, that the Methodist church, their membership is down 70%, the Baptist church is down 80%, and then this church is down 60%, and they just show people aren't going to church anymore. It's so young people aren't going to church anymore, and they just report it as if he's just stop going to church it's over you might as well surrender to the secularist and to the spirit of antichrist well i've got another message i say stop the funeral come on is anybody here with me i say the church is still very much alive come on i said the gospel is still working and the devil is not going to set the agenda for what we do don't let the consciousness of the world get inside of you when you face your city and when you face the lost you preach like the church is as hot as it's ever been and you declare the gospel that we can still have revival you've got to have this faith anything else you make a transition and you bury the dream didn't Jesus said that the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church? Then we can't get into our mind that hell has won. I'm never going to believe it. Because Jesus says, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell won't prevail. The numbers don't move me. The articles don't move me. I preach until Jesus takes me home. Witness until Jesus takes you home. Can you say amen? And I say to every individual in here, stop the funeral. I say it to our nation, it's not over. I say it to our churches, it's not over. And I say it to every individual in here because this text that we read is a family, an individual woman getting a visitation from God. I wished I could have made Karen understand when I was in England, but I couldn't. Because that's what happens when you bury a dream. Once it's buried, it's hard to ever get it back again. And so God's hope tonight is that he can catch you to stop the funeral. And that you can get on this altar tonight and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for believing the lie that I can never be, my family can never be, my destiny can never be, my nation can never be, my church can never be. I see nothing happening. And you get it in your spirit and the devil kills it. And even though you still sit there and function, it's over, it's over, it's over. But I'm here to tell you it's not over. Hallelujah. Come on, we need to give God praise tonight. Walter Williams from Lexington, Mississippi, was pronounced dead. <laughs> His sister said, well, because he had a weak heart and he had a pacemaker, we knew the day would come. So all they did was just went with, yep, he's dead. Instantly, they had called the funeral home. They were going to come and pick up his body. What funeral do you want? Package A, package B, package C. They had already started everything. He was pronounced dead. There, anybody got pictures of Uncle Walter? Bring them out. Get ready for the funeral. Susie, can you prepare the video for the funeral? We want the bronze casket package A, you know, for $8,000 and this, and that we want this kind of hearse. And she's already making the arrangements. She said, what a joy. When I got that phone call, you better get down here. What's going on? Walter is alive. He's alive? Yeah. Why? Because he was never dead. There was just a shortage in his pacemaker. <laughs> but this is what happens to our faith. It's never dead. The devil just creates a shortage in our hope, in our faith. And we just start fizzling out and we give up. But oh, the call is coming from heaven tonight. Stop the funeral. Hallelujah. Stop the funeral. 
San Marcos, Texas can still do the will of God in the earth. Yeah, but the money. Who cares about the money? Yeah, but we're just a little town. Who cares about that? Yeah, but our church doesn't have a lot of... Who cares about that? He said, you stop the funeral. In a dusty little cowboy town called Prescott, Arizona. A little rinkety-dink redneck church. Over on Lincoln Street. Some of you weren't nowhere around. That building was a little tiny building. Probably the size of about half of this. Here comes this little Arkansas hit preacher named Mitchell to a bunch of little crazy old ladies who were four square in their faith. It's over. It's over. Yeah, we've had all kind of preachers come through here and preach to us. You're not going to move us. Handful of little old ladies. And he comes in and begins to say, you know what? Stop the funeral. We're not locking the doors of this church yet. Yeah, well, we've had them all come through here. They've sent five preachers in the last five years, and they've all retired. And here you come. Pastor Mitchell, uh uh-uh, not me. It's not over. And he just kept on preaching faith. One hippie, another hippie. One drug addict, another heroin addict. A little guitar player, then a little drummer. Next, you got a little crowd of people. Come on, we can win the world. And they begin to invite their friends. They moved out of that little building onto Ruth Street. Extended that building and growth continued to happen. More people started coming in. It was powerful. Here we sit, 2,000 churches later, 40 years of ministry, 100 and some countries around the world, churches still being planted, where a group of little backslidden ladies say, it's over, shut it down, it's done. And all he went in there and did is say, you know what? We ain't having no funeral. We ain't having no funeral. And I'll tell you, a fellowship came out of a funeral that was about to be performed. Just like Jesus said, you're not putting him in the ground, not yet. And rose that boy from the dead. Can I tell you, stop the funeral tonight. How many got my message? How many of you believe the message? Can we give God praise tonight as we get ready to leave here tonight? Saying it's not over yet. Come on, hallelujah. Hallelujah, it's not over yet. You leave here. You turn around in the back seat to your teenagers. I know you're sneaking and creeping. But it ain't over yet. You're sitting on the passenger side. Wife, I'm telling y'all wives what to do. You turn around and look at that, that, that husband of yours. You say, yeah, I know you have crazy. But it ain't over yet. I'm still praying. God, get a hold of you. You look at that wife who said, I'll never do it. I'm never going to be. No, I'm not me. Uh Uh-uh. I want me some diamonds and pearls. You just look at her tonight. Say, you know what? (laughs) Not over yet. Jesus is the Lord of the resurrection. Give God praise as we pray. Hallelujah. Bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you tonight. For such a wonderful, wonderful weekend of ministry. And all that you've done here in this congregation. We bless you in Jesus name.